This week on AARP's The Perfect Scam. It was the worst fear and panic that I have ever felt. How long is too long to be thinking that your child is in a van speeding away from you and in harm's way? Welcome back to AARP's The Perfect Scam. I'm Julie Getz, and with me is my co-host, AARP ambassador and fraud expert, Frank Abagnale. Frank, it's always so good to see you. Thanks for having me. Frank, before we dive into today's episode, I'd like to share a brief story about our neighbor who almost became a victim to a utility scam. He was pretty shook up when he told us what happened, and it sounds like he got out just in the nick of time. Can you share with listeners what is a utility scam and how does it work? Well, a lot of times they call and they say they're from your electric company and that you owe some back bills that you haven't paid on your electrical bill and they're going to shut your power off at 6 o'clock this evening unless they get a payment. Again, we're back to the immediate payment. Got to have it right now, so give me a credit card over the phone. Right, so they use a typical scare tactic. And they say, well, maybe I missed a bill. Maybe I skipped a payment. And it sounds so easy. Just give me your credit card number over the phone. We'll take care of the bill, and it's no problem. I totally get it. I'd probably go grab my credit card out of my purse to avoid the power being cut. I mean, we're busy. Things like this can happen, right? Yes. My wife, uh, when I wrote the book, Scam Me If You Can, said, you know, actually, I've gotten those calls. She said, of course, I ignore them. I know I don't owe any back money. But she said, I could see where people would fall for that, especially under the threat that they're going to shut their power off. Uh, Yes, I am with your wife 100%. So what should folks do if they do receive a call from someone claiming to be with their utility company? You want to make sure that if you get a call like that, you actually call back the utility company and say, I got a call, said it was from this person. They said I owed money. They just look up your account and say, no, ma'am, you're up to date. You don't need money. We certainly didn't call you to threaten to shut off your power. Mm -hmm. That just takes a minute to verify that. About a year ago, I was out at British Telecom, which is the large telephone company in Great Britain, which services all of Great Britain. They told me they get over 40,000 calls a day at their call center, people that are calling about those complaints, saying somebody called, said they were from your company. Sometimes people call up and show up at the house. We need to check the electric box or we need to check this. And there you always want to make sure you have ID of the person, has identification on them. If you're in doubt, call the utility company. I have a man out here who says he works for you. He had to come in my house to check this electrical box. I, I want to make sure before I let him in my house that what he's saying is true. Those are the kind of instances you just need to stop before you part with any money and verify that what they're telling you is true. But again, it's like any scam where I threaten you, IRS, pay right now, Social Security, pay this moment or I'm going to shut this off, or I'm going to stop payment on this. And again, the red flag is it's got to be immediate. So you can't even say, well, look, could I just drive down there today? I'll just drive down. You have an office right down the street from me. I'll just come down and pay the back bill. No, no, can't do that. You have to do that on the telephone. But that, you know, that's that red flag again. So if you do get a call like this and it sounds suspicious, just hang up the phone. And if you have questions, call the utility company. But the big takeaway here, folks, is that you hang up the phone. Hang up the phone. Hang it up. Well, today we're going to talk about virtual kidnappings. Now, at their core, they're telephone extortion scams that share similar tactics to a grandparent scam, where the fraudsters on the other end of the phone line call and prey on your fear to separate you from your money. To think that someone we love may be in mortal danger and that their life hangs on the line by our actions is a pretty heavy weight to bear. On this episode, we're going to hear from someone who shares her story about how she was the targeted victim of this scam. 
how her life has been flipped upside down and what she calls the most terrifying experience of her life. Kathy Gross lives with her husband, Mark, and their 13-year-old daughter in Orange County, California. My husband is an architect. I'm a homemaker. And we have one daughter, Jordan. She's amazing. She plays volleyball. She's very artistic. She does a lot of drawing, and we just adore her, and life's pretty good. Good. So, Kathy, I just want you to take me back to that day, to that day when your life felt like it changed forever. Tell me what happened. It was a normal school day. It was raining. It was just kind of a cold morning. Up at 7.30, you know, breakfast, out the door. I dropped Jordan at school. I drove to a spin class, um, did that for an hour, came out, got in the car, and started to drive down the main street that goes back towards my house. And I received a call that came across the screen and said, no caller ID. Most of us don't pick up if we don't know the number. And Kathy wouldn't usually do that either. But today was not a typical day. I had been trying to get a piece of jewelry back from a house that we had rented in Palm Springs over the summer. And the gentleman I was working with, his calls were coming through, no caller ID. Mm. So that prompted me to pick up the phone. Hello? I immediately heard my daughter's voice. Mom? Very panicked. Mom? And I responded, yes. The call catches Kathy off guard. It sounds like her daughter, Jordan, who she dropped off just an hour before. What I heard next was just, you know, insanity. Um, Mom, I have a problem. And I said, yes. And um, they took me. I'm, I'm in a van. I don't know where I am. There aren't any windows. And I was speechless. And in that moment where I didn't say anything, she responded back, Mom, Mom, you know, just, are you there? And then I said, oh, my God, Jordan, where are you? I don't know. I think I'm on the freeway. There are no windows. All this time, I'm thinking, this is her. Kathy's head is swirling with fear. I heard the phone being transferred, almost like a grabbing of a phone. You know, if somebody was on the call and somebody grabbed the phone away from you, I remember feeling like there was some scuffling going on in the background. A man's voice came on the line and he said, is this Kathy Gross? He had an accent. I wasn't sure. You know, was this a Mexican accent? Was this Middle Eastern? And I wasn't able to really place where the accent came from. But he had a very menacing voice. And I said, yes, it is. And he said, listen, Missy, you better not hang up. You better not call anyone We have him. Him? Suddenly, Kathy feels unsure. My daughter's name is Jordan, Mm -hmm. but clearly she's a a girl. Mm -hmm. So that triggered me to realize that possibly they didn't have her. Mm -hmm. That, on top of the fact that the security at her school is so great, she has a drop-off area at school. There's the head of middle school that stands outside and greets the kids, and they walk through a gate, and that's it. The gate closes, it locks. It's a very secure campus. Kathy goes with her gut and makes a split-second decision to do the opposite of what the kidnappers demanded. I thought, I'm going to hang up. That was a big decision, but I just felt calling her a a him and just could not, in my mind, fathom how they could have pulled her out of school. Right. So I just took a chance, and I thought, if they have her, they will call me back. They will think I drove through that area or possibly 
My phone went dead, and in that time, I can call the school and confirm that she's in class. By now, Kathy's heart is racing wildly. She grips the steering wheel and speeds back to Jordan's school, dialing as she drives. I called the school. I think at that point I was crying and just said, I just got this call that somebody has Jordan. Please let me know that she's in class. Oh, you know, oh my, let me, of course, hold on. And then silence and silence. As I'm on hold, I'm getting calls, no caller ID. They're calling me back on the other line. And I just remained on hold for, at that point, I'm going to say probably about five minutes, which seemed like forever. And at that point, I hung up and called back and screamed, you can't leave me on hold. What's going on? Let me transfer you to the head of middle school. And so at that point, I realized they can't find her. And they couldn't find her because she was not where she was supposed to be. So they were panicking at the school. By now, Kathy isn't the only one panicked. The school has gone on complete lockdown as security guards spread throughout the school. I am now at a stoplight, and I'm sitting at the stoplight considering running the red light, just losing my mind. Five minutes later, Kathy pulls up to the school, hysterical with worry. I jumped out of the car and I ran towards the school, and the woman at the front desk came running out and just said, we have her. She had stayed back in one class to work with her teacher and was supposed to be in PE, but she was still in English, so she wasn't, she wasn't where she was supposed to be. Kathy and her daughter share a tearful reunion. But in her mind, Kathy's already starting to wonder how close she was to falling victim to the scam. In hindsight, I think I might have been a little bit vulnerable to thinking that it was her because she had been having some things going on at school that were troubling her, and I thought perhaps something had happened and she was calling me upset. So I was almost not surprised to be getting an anxious, upset call from her. But it was the worst fear and panic that I have ever felt. How long is too long to be thinking that your child is in a van speeding away from you and in harm's way. It's 15 minutes is too long. Within hours of the incident, Kathy's on a mission to warn others about the nerve-wracking fraud, but is shocked that officials seem indifferent to her pain. I went to the police department and they just kind of dismissed me and said, you know, just be glad you didn't send money. And I left and went home feeling very victimized. I felt I felt like something absolutely horrible had happened to me and I was so exhausted I had to lie down. I was kind of ill and very, very tired. So it sounds like the response you got from the local police department certainly didn't help any. I really could not disconnect from it. I wasn't sleeping. It's difficult when somebody is telling you that they have their child and they say really horrible and frightening things. When we spoke earlier, you told me that the fear lingered with you for some time. Can you tell me more about that? Yes. About a week later, my daughter was homesick, and we have a service locally where you can have a doctor come to your house. And I had a doctor scheduled. This particular doctor um, called no caller ID. I had run down to the store to get 
some medication for her and the call came in no caller ID from this doctor that was scheduled to be there and it just threw me into a panic because I was trying to reach Jordan who was at home and I couldn't get a hold of her and this no caller ID is coming in so it's just this fearful feeling Mm -hmm. that I would assume anyone that had been a victim of a crime would have that feeling. I can imagine that every time your phone rings and a no-caller ID comes up, that it must trigger something in your body. Still does. Like mentally and physically, just how... Needless to say, I never answer those calls anymore. Don't. I mean, if you don't know who it is, don't don't answer the call. No. They can leave a voicemail if it's important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no-caller ID. Not, Not a good thing. So how did you heal from this? Like, what was it that helped you take your power back? I felt like I had to let as many people know as I possibly could. I called all of the school districts and sent emails asking them to please send out broadcasts, warn parents. I called all of the news agencies locally. I called the FBI. I was fortunate enough to connect with a reporter with the Orange County Register, and there was a great article on the front page that went out about virtual kidnapping, which was amazing. You know, so many people read that. And then a year later, just this past April, there were two other families in the city of Laguna Beach that were victims of this virtual kidnapping scam. However, they did not want to talk to the media, and the media was very interested in getting the word out. The detective that was Uh, working on their investigation, called me and asked me if I'd be willing to speak with these reporters. And within about a 36-hour period of time, I did interviews with all of the local news stations. And then it was on the Today Show, which was amazing because I just, I constantly think about how many people saw that. Mm -hmm. And if they got that call, they would hang up. Mm -hmm. So I did everything I could to let as many people know that this was happening because I felt that was the only way to stop someone from having that same experience. Kathy, this is an incredible story and very powerful. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. I appreciate the chance to talk with you. Thank you. Thank you. My next guest is also determined to get the word out about the virtual kidnapping scam. Her name is Samantha Kelly. Samantha is a business tech editor and helps oversee daily tech coverage at CNN. What gets me excited is not just the fact that you have a new gadget or a new service or something like that, but how these technologies really change the way we live, whether it's for the good or the bad. And that just plays right into what we're talking about today. So how did you find the story and how did you start hearing about virtual kidnapping? I got an email from somebody with a really terrifying story that had just happened to him and his family just a few days before. And the story sort of resonated with him. And he said, I want to tell you what just had happened to my family. I changed a lot of the the names in the story just to protect their privacy, but we will call them the Baker family. And the son is Jake in this case, and he's probably in his late 20s or so. And he told me how earlier that week, his father was at work and got a call from his number, from Jake's number. And it was almost like a scene out of a horror movie said somebody was on the other line and said, I have your son. I'm going to kill him and I'm going to need you to do all of these things in order for him to be safe. Wow. So the number that was calling was actually their son's phone number? Exactly. So if you're going about your day and you wouldn't necessarily stop to question whether or not this is real when it's coming from a number that you trust to 
further prove that they are real and doing a kidnapping. So what did the bakers do? They ended up going to several CBSs and taking prepaid cards for a couple hundred dollars each and relaying the number to the scammer on the phone. And then finally, at the very end, they hung up the phone. They went over to the son's house, and Jake, the son, was inside cooking dinner, and nothing was wrong. Samantha, as the tech editor, I'm sure you see a lot of trends. Is this scam on the rise? Even a colleague of mine here at CNN, her boyfriend's grandmother was recently, this happened to them. She got a phone call that her son was in jail and needed the money immediately. And anecdotally, I've noticed that a lot of like parents or grandparents are specifically being called. This is a part of a growing trend. It isn't necessarily new. It's been happening for a few years at this point, but it is increasingly common. And What's appealing about this from a criminal standpoint is a quick way to make money, and it's certainly a lot easier to conduct something like this, a virtual kidnapping, than a real one. What about this story and this type of scam did you find most surprising? I think one of the most interesting things about this trend is that it is more of a human psychology issue. The fact that people can get swept away in the moment and these scammers know that people are really busy. But if you're getting a call from somebody and they're giving you certain information, why wouldn't you believe them? What I thought also was really interesting is a lot of people are not reporting virtual kidnappings because they're embarrassed or it's super traumatic and they don't want to talk about it. This is something that is really emotional and really hard on families. People, you know, seek therapy afterwards as impacting people in really harmful ways, more than just losing a couple hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. And we talk about this a lot here at AARP. We've learned that regardless of the tactics, scammers know that getting their targets in an emotional state is key to pulling off the scam. It's what we call getting the targets under the ether. So now let's transition to how difficult it is to track these scammers. So I spoke to an FBI official who's been overseeing this issue. And right now they've determined, and again, this isn't necessarily new, but there's been an increase in the last few years, that the majority of virtual kidnapping calls originate from Mexico. And a lot of them are coming from within prisons there. Huh, Mexican prisons. Exactly, yes. Yep. Originally the calls... We're targeting Spanish speakers in certain cities like Los Angeles and Houston, and now it's spread across other cities in the U.S. and, of course, to English speakers as well. That's all really interesting, Samantha. And we're going to learn more about the connection to Mexican prisons in our next episode when we talk to FBI Special Agent Eric Arbuthnot. In the meantime, thank you so much for being on the show and for everything that you're doing to get the word out there and educate people about this scam. All right. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And now I'm back in the studio with Frank. Frank, it just seems that many victims of virtual kidnappings are completely unaware that this crime even exists. They react as any parent would when faced with a potential threat to their child. I mean, virtual kidnappers take advantage of parents' fears, and most of the time they get away with it. What do you think is the best way to protect yourself from this virtual kidnapping scam? Well, first of all, I think it's important to try to remain calm and slow the situation down. I do not share any information about your family during the call and don't use the alleged victim's name. If you hear the victim's voice or screaming in the background, try to ascertain if it really is your child. 
attempt to contact the kidnapped victim via phone, text, a messaging app, or social media to see where they are and if they are safe. And officers try to speak to the victim. Got it. Just try to slow everything down. Right. And you might want to ask the caller to call back using the victim's phone or try to buy time by repeating the caller's demands and telling the caller you need to write things down or need time to complete Mm -hmm. the transaction. Uh, You don't want to challenge or argue with the caller. But I would say it's important to say things to verify, okay, if you actually have my daughter or my son, what do they look like? Mm. Uh, What color hair do they have? What color eyes do they have? How tall are they? Mm -hmm. Uh, Can you ask them a question about where they go to school or something like that? Mm -hmm. Uh, Most of the time they don't have that information, obviously, because they don't have the person. So that's where it gets real sticky. They can't answer those questions. Mm. And I know here at AARP, we do encourage folks to hang up and then try to confirm that your child or loved one is safe. But if you do find yourself in a situation where your instinct tells you to just to stay on, you can't hang up yet, then just remember to ask questions. Try to slow everything down. Really try and verify. Right. Stop and like we do with all the scams. Stop and verify. Clear your head and ask, you know, what's her name? Because you saw her going to school that day or you saw them a few hours ago, what clothes are they wearing? Yeah. And see, if it was real, they know all that. What about driving to the nearest police station or, I mean, should, is there somewhere they can, someone should go for help? You can drive to the nearest police station, explain what's happening so that someone's with you yeah. uh, that maybe can, in case they call back or something like that. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of times you, I personally believe a lot of these could be settled if you just stay calm and ask the specific questions instead of panicking and believe you got to pay right away. Yeah. Could they really have this person or are they actually in school? Right. So if they were in school, my first call would be the school is my daughter or son in the Just classroom. like Kathy did. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. And when you hang up the phone and they may call back over and over again, but eventually they'll stop calling, they're going to try and call the next person, right? Yeah, they have thousands of people to call. So if they realize you're on to them, the minute you start asking what do they look like, what color eyes they have, they're going to hang up and they're probably not going to call you back. Sure, great. Okay, everyone, stop and verify. We'll be back next week for part two of this special episode covering virtual kidnapping scams. And joining us, we'll have a very special guest. That's Frank's son, Scott, who is the unit chief of the FBI's Crisis Negotiations Unit. Yes. And this will be their first time ever doing an interview together as they team up on fighting the scam. We'll see you next week. Thanks so much, Frank. Thanks, Julie. If you or someone you know has been the victim of a fraud or scam, call AARP's Fraud Watch Network helpline at 877-908-3360. Thank you to our team of scam busters, producer Brooke Ellis, our audio engineer Julio Gonzalez, and of course, my co-host Frank Abagnale. Be sure to find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For AARP, The Perfect Scam, I'm Julie Getz. Are you 55 plus? There are many ways your community could use your help. As an AmeriCorps Seniors Volunteer, you can put your skills to work for the causes you care about, whether that's by becoming a companion for an older adult or a foster grandparent for a child, tutoring students, joining a disaster response effort, or fulfilling another interest. Choose how, where, and when you want to volunteer starting at just a few hours a month. This is your moment to make a positive impact on your community and get back so much more in return. Visit americourt.gov slash your moment today.